Okay, so just a really brief overview, kind of the last few weeks, we've been talking about the bride's spiritual crisis and kind of what came out of that, her own questions. Lord, I'm, I'm distant from you. I'm finding myself distant from you. Where do you feed your flock? And he responds to her and he affirms her. And now this is her response to that. It's kind of a threefold response of the bride, and a lot of people describe this as a revelation of the beauty of Jesus, where she's, she's uh, being encountered with his beauty for kind of the first time. So this is Song, chapter 1, starting in verse 12. We're going to go through 14 tonight. While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. So in these verses, the bride is responding to Jesus's affirmation of her beauty. She says her life is filled with worship and adoration in the form of a spikenard perfume that she gives forth in his presence. She meditates and feeds on the sacrificial love of Jesus in his crucifixion, and she receives revelation of his beauty and delightfulness. So that's kind of a a little description of the three verses we're going to talk about tonight. I just noticed a mistake. After delightfulness, it should say verse 14. That's kind of my uh, interpretation of those three verses, how we can connect this to New Testament Christianity. So the setting of this encounter is at the table. It's at the king's table, his banquet table. And uh, it's interesting, the word for table here is written down there. I'm not sure how to say it, but when you translate it literally, it means to surround or the surrounding area. So they would use the same root word of this to talk about like the area of Pueblo West. That is the surrounding area around that area or to talk about something surrounding you, uh, something coming around you or something to be encircled around you, to be around. So a lot of uh, scriptures call that the table, the king's table, because it's round, but it can also mean that the king is around. The king is surrounding her. And I think both interpretations um, can be used. So the inference is that the bride is sitting at the king's table with him and his presence has surrounded her. She's in his presence. She's enveloped in his presence. We can partake of the table of the Lord at any time as his bride. And sitting at his table and allowing him to feed our spirit comes from our confidence in his love that we're lovely to him and our thankfulness that he's forgiven all our sins and given us the gift of righteousness. So I just put some scriptures here talking about the table of the Lord and what happens there. And uh, Psalm 23, this is the one everybody knows, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So there is this table that the Lord prepares for us, that we can come into his presence and that he feeds our spirit. And the things that he feeds us is really what provokes the worship. It provokes the praise perfume. So let her see there as the presence of Christ begins to surround her, And he begins to feed her, a spontaneous praise perfume pours forth from her heart and fills the room as well. 
the fragrance of Christ surrounds us and mixes with the fragrance of our worship when we meet with him at the banqueting table. So it reminds me of the, the various places in the Gospels where someone broke perfume and anointed Jesus. And it talks about the perfume filling the room. That's the picture that we have here. While, I, while the king was at his table and I was at the table with him, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. It filled the place where we were sitting. It's specifically spikenard. That's, that's the uh, type of fragrance that's listed when you look at the Hebrew or, or sometimes it just says nard. And that's a specific kind of fragrance. It was used in offerings, burnt offerings in the temple as incense offerings. It was used to anoint bodies for burial. That's where most Christians are familiar with nard because that's what Mary of Bethany anointed Jesus with when she came in. And in John, he, she anoints his feet. In Mark, it says she anoints his head. Mark, it's kind of inferring that it's Mary. It just says while he was Beth, at Bethany, a woman came in and anointed his head. So I wrote down the one in John. Mary took a pound of very expensive perfume of pure nard or spike nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. There's a couple scriptures there about fragrances and how we are the fragrance of Christ to God and how our praise is like fragrance ascending before God, Revelation 5, 8. But it's, it's, it's really well known for us, if you've been in the church for a while, that nard fragrance, nard perfume was expensive. Like when people talk about the alabaster jar um, or Mary's jar of perfume, that those were costly anointings. You know, they broke something that could have been their dowry. People say this might have been Mary of Bethany's dowry, a year's wages worth of of perfume. So it was, it's a costly anointing and it's the same type of uh, feeling we're supposed to have that our, our fragrance, our praise to him should be costly. It shouldn't be convenient to us. You know, I think about, I think Zach taught on this maybe a year ago where Jesus is coming into the temple and fashioning the, the whips and he does it two separate times to drive out the money changers and how I was always taught, well, the reason he's doing that is because you're not supposed to sell stuff at church. You're not supposed to sell stuff in the temple. And I remember Zach saying, no, he did that because the people were making worship convenient. They were, they were selling birds so you didn't have to raise your own bird. They were selling sacrifices so you didn't have to go through the process of inconvenience to sacrifice an animal that you had to pour your life into. And this, this sitting at his table and giving forth our perfume isn't supposed to be something small and something simple. It's supposed to be us giving of ourselves. Even the word give forth, gave forth, it, it speaks to a, a, a giving that is selfless and sacrificial. Just the, the Hebrew word that's translated as gave forth. It's the same type of giving when, when God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's that level of, of sacrifice. So going into the next scripture, verse 13 on page two, my beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. And for me, it's weird to think about something lying between my breasts. So I think about my heart. It's, it's lying on my heart. It's sitting on my heart. It's like a seal on my heart. It's, uh, it's like when I put my hand on my heart and I can feel my heart beating. It's that close. It's knit to me. And it's, 
it's, it's a meditation on the cross is what this pouch of myrrh symbolizes. So the bride begins to smell this aroma of myrrh coming from her heart, coming from near her heart. See, the wealthy women in this time period, they would have these bundles of myrrh that they would tie around their neck and it would sit under their, under their shirt and they would smell this fragrance that would tarry through the night. It would, it would give them a pleasing aroma while they were sleeping, but it's costly. It was expensive. You know, if you think back to Jesus' birth, they, they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and all three of those things were costly. And there's even the, the uh, whole point that Jesus was born into this world with myrrh, and he also was buried with myrrh. When Mary came to the tomb to visit him, she brought myrrh with her to anoint his body, you know, to keep it from smelling. But it's very costly. It's, it's expensive stuff. So this king has given her a costly gift at the banqueting table to wear around her neck while she lies on her bed in the night. He's given her this sachet of myrrh, this bundle of myrrh, a pouch of myrrh, so that when she's in the night seasons, when she's in seasons of temptation, in seasons of tribulation, of trial, when she's in the dark night of the soul, even just not to over-spiritualize it, when we're laying on our bed, we're meditating on him and we can we can lean into that fragrance of myrrh, which is his crucifixion. It's speaking of the fragrant of his sufferings, the aroma of his sufferings. See, it symbolizes her receiving revelation of the love and provision of Christ when he went to the cross. You can read through Romans 3 through 8, and you can really see the, the provision of the cross, the love and provision that Jesus displayed by going to the cross. See, the cross was Jesus's abundant offering on our behalf. And what it costs speaks to our value to he that paid the price. See, this, this bundle of myrrh that the king has given to the bride is symbolic of the gift that Christ has given to us in his death on the cross. And it really shows how valuable we are. You know, when you look at the cross, it shows you this is what we're esteemed at. This is, this is our value. You know, Zach and Chelsea just bought a car. The car has a certain value. You can look it up. You're like, oh, it's worth this much money on Kelly Blue Book. In the same way, we have a value, and you can look it up in the scriptures when you're meditating on the cross. You can see this is the MSRP of John. This is the MSRP of the bride, of Zach, of Chelsea, of Celeste, of Josh, these the, the price paid is the value of that which he bought. That's what we should see when we're meditating on the cross. We're looking at myrrh. The Hebrew root word for myrrh, this is cool, is mara, which means bitter. And if you look at some ancient Hebrew scholars, they described myrrh as the tears from a tree, the bitter tears from a tree. So in the same way that Christ hung on a tree and poured forth tears of redemption, the pouch of myrrh lying on our hearts is our remembrance of his love and sacrifice. And it, it, remind, it takes us back to Song of Solomon 1.4. We will praise your love more than wine. We will remember your love more than wine. In the night seasons, in the dark night of the soul, in seasons of temptation, when we're lying on our bed at night, when we're lonely, when we're hungry, angry, tired, we can remember his love by meditating on the cross. We can smell the myrrh on our hearts that he's placed there. 
See, even even the garments of Jesus were drenched with myrrh. I love this. Psalm 45, 8. All of your garments are fragrant with myrrh. Myrrh is referenced eight times in the Song of Songs, signifying the importance of Christ's sacrifice to those that are intimate with him. So we've, we've been studying intimacy and urgency. If you want to get intimate with Christ, study the cross. If you want to become a grateful person, study the cross. If you want to become someone who's aware of your value, of how he sees you, study the cross. Study his sacrifice, and it will show you how he sees you. As we smell the fragrance of his suffering, we're beckoned even to take up our own cross. Can we share in the sufferings of Christ? Can we deny our own reputation and our own personal agendas? Can we deny ourselves? Will we deny comfort to follow him in sacrificial love, even at the cost of our lives? There's just some good scriptures to to think about when we're meditating on the cross and what does it look like for me to take up my cross? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that look like, Lord, for me to lose my life for your sake? You know, even, even if it's not just martyrdom, What does it look like as a public school teacher to lose my life for your sake? What does it look like as a person living in Pueblo, Colorado to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you? How can I share in your sacrifice? How can I share in your sufferings? 1 Peter 4.13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also receive, rejoice, and be overjoyed. Revelation 12, 11, we quote this scripture all the time. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life, even when faced with death. As we meditate on the cross, we begin to share the same fragrant aroma of Christ. His fragrance speaks of his character. It speaks of his nature. As we draw near to the place of sacrifice, others will recognize the same character and will know that we've been with him. You can go back and we talked about the fragrance of his name being poured forth, being poured forth into the nations and being poured forth into our hearts, being poured out purified oil. The fragrance always speaks to character because fragrance, like you, if you take a rose and you make a fragrance out of it, It's the inner qualities of the rose that make that fragrance. The fragrance of anything comes from the inner qualities of that object that the fragrance is made out of. So if we're talking about the fragrances of Christ, we're talking about his character. We're talking about his nature. We're talking about his ways, his goodness, his kindness. Even the fruits of the Spirit, uh, we often talk about those as like, oh, these are the things we're striving for, but they're really a description of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fragrances of Christ. The pouch of myrrh must lay on our hearts, even in the night seasons of temptation and trial, that we would keep his sacrifice ever before us. We will forever worship the lamb once slain as a pouch of myrrh on our hearts. It'll always be that close to us. A million years from now, we'll still be praising the lamb that was slain. 
the lamb in the center of the throne. It's his eternal identity that he's taken upon himself. He says, I am the lamb slain. I am the lamb slaughtered. Revelation 5.12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. If you want to read some powerful songs about the lamb, just read Revelation chapter 5, the whole thing. It's all about Jesus, the lamb of God, who's worthy to open the scroll and its seals. It's the lamb. See, the most obedient and worshipful saints are those who continually meditate on the cross, those who continually meditate on Christ's sacrifice and his nature as the one who was slain. So going into verse 14, page three, this is a revelation of his delightfulness, of the thrill of knowing Christ. See, we often think about God as being this boring taskmaster or even when you look at other faiths and other religions, you have all these heavy-handed deities that are demanding worship and demanding things without giving anything. You know, God is the God that sets a table before us, and every other God requires us to set a table before them. That's, that's something that if people can receive the revelation of Christ as the good God, as the kind God, as the one who came not to be served but to lay his life down, that will change people in the world, and, and it draws them in. It woos them. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Like a cluster of fragrant flowers, the henna blossoms, Jesus is thrilling and intoxicating. I even think about, you know, when you get a bouquet of flowers for somebody, it's, it's like the, the quintessential way to express love for someone. It's, it's the thrilling thing. You know, I'm not much of a flowers guy, but my sister had her final concert of the year and kids probably got her like six bouquets of flowers and she loves every single one of them. You know, you should see her face light up. And in the same way, Jesus should make our face light up like a cluster of blossoms. It speaks to his beauty and splendor, a king who is thrilling to love and to know. This is counter to the religious, heavy-handed deities of worldly religions who demand perfection in worship. This God draws us to himself with the aroma of many flowers from the most fragrant gardens. Something interesting about henna blossoms is Roman soldiers that were garrisoned in Jerusalem, it's written that they would comment that the best time to visit the poorer areas was when the henna blossoms would bloom because it would completely mask the odor coming from those poor areas, the odor of death, the odor of, you know, all the waste, those things that happen in extreme poverty, the henna blossoms would mask that odor. So that's the only time Roman soldiers liked to go there. The same way, the thrilling beauty and kindness of God drowns out all other aromas, even that of death, and draws us into his presence. It's his goodness. It's his kindness. Romans 2.4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's that fragrance of his goodness that draws us to him in repentance. Hannah blossoms were these like clusters of small white flowers that grew on shrubs. It was like a small tree that was really dense 
henna trees or henna bushes. These plants were extremely fragrant and they're typically grown around the border of a valuable crop. So if you had a vineyard, you didn't want these want all these animals roaming into it, you would plant henna on the border so that nothing could get through it. So they're really dense kind of uh, briary type trees, bushes, shrubs. The henna trees would guard the contents of the vineyard from those prowling animals. And in the same way, Jesus guards the vineyards of our hearts and encircles our hearts with his fragrances. He's not just a fragrant flower, but a fragrant bouquet. His beauty comes from every aspect of his character, which speaks to the diversity and the abundance of his beauty and glory. I like this this scripture to to connect that. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, his peace, this peace, shalom, is like the henna bushes guarding the vineyards of our hearts. It has these blossoms of flowers that give off a pleasing fragrance. No matter what enemy surrounds us, he guards us. The Hebrew word for henna is the word kofer. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that or not correctly, but it's K-O-P-H-E-R, which translated means ransom and refers to the price of atonement for a single person. So when you looked through like the... Um, how much someone would have to pay to ransom one person that was referred to as that word, a kofer. And it's a homonym. So it's spelled the same and pronounced, pronounced the same as the tree, henna. So it, if you know what a homonym is, it's, it's a word that's spelt and pronounced the same way, but it has multiple meanings. Kind of like, um, oh, I can't, can't think of an example. Counter. The word counter in English can refer to a tabletop, a counter. It can refer to maybe a counter offer. It can refer to a rebuttal and an argument. Um, those are all homonyms. They're the same word, same pronunciation, same spelling. So the, the word for henna that's used when you read the Hebrew text is the word that means ransom, which I think is significant. See, this cluster would signify atonement or ransom, not just for one person, but it's a cluster. It's the ransom for many. Ancient Jewish scholars believed that the phrase cluster of henna blossoms was a reference to the Messiah, and they wouldn't translate it cluster of henna blossoms. They would translate the phrase as a man who atones for all in Song of Songs. How cool is that? See, Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we see the cluster of henna blossoms, it's so multifaceted. It's his beauty. It's the fragrance of his character. It's his guarding of our hearts. He is the man who atones for many. (laughs) Man, I feel God on that. That's so cool. And then this other one's really cool too. En Gedi, it's an actual place. It was an oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. And it was known for producing some of the greatest fragrances in Israel. But what's really interesting is the, the name En Gedi means fountain of the lamb. <laughs> or the spring of the kid, which kid means like a young goat. So this vineyard of beautiful fragrance itself is knit to Jesus's eternal identity as the lamb of God, once slain, he takes away the sins of the world. So we have this 
cluster of henna blossoms, which signifies his atonement, being the ransom for all, in the vineyards of Engedi, which signifies the fountain of the Lamb, this fountain of living water that never runs dry. And it's all signifying a vineyard that we're a part of. It's our vineyard. It's the vineyard of our heart. The fountain of the Lamb lives there. <laughs> from, from within you come rivers of living water. So fun. See, the beauty of his character, the fragrance of his atonement, reveals to us his great love for us. When we meditate on the cross, the one who died there, we can see that he gave everything for us before we did anything for him. He loves us as we are, where we are, without holding anything back. And this fragrant aroma intoxicates us to give everything we have to this lamb. So let me read Song of Songs 1, 12 through 14, now that we have some deeper understanding. While the king was at his table, surrounding me with his presence, my perfume... My spikenard praise gave forth its fragrance and it filled the room. He gave me this pouch of myrrh and he is like to me that pouch of myrrh signifying his sacrifice which lies all night over my heart while I rest, while I'm tempted in the dark night seasons. His sacrifice is a fragrant aroma. He is a pouch of myrrh that was nailed to a tree for me. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of En Gedi. He is the man who brings atonement for all, the ransom for many. And he does have a fountain, the fountain of his sacrificial love in the vineyard that he guards for me. Father, we thank you tonight for the revelation found in your word. God, would you draw us to the place of the cross, even as we take communion, would you remind us how much you've valued us at? You've esteemed us highly that you would, a God who loves the world, give your only son that we might know you and have eternal life. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.